Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. I want to speak to you tonight about the subject of transformational fasting. So if you're writing notes, and I'd encourage you to do so, transformational fasting. By the way, I should say it's nice to have a little bit of family support in the in the church tonight. My mother is here. Hello, mother. And my niece, Emily, I warned her. She's been saying, I'm going to come and hear you preach. I said, I'm going to call you out in front of everybody. So my mother, Kathy Gray over there, if you could welcome my little... I know they're part of this church, but... Nice to have your mother cheering you on at the Athletics Carnival, isn't it? All right, I'm going to try not to do a preacher's hammy here. All right, Mum, don't cheer me on that much. Okay, so... Transformational fasting... Right there in the title of the message, inherent in the very words I'm saying, is the gist of tonight's message, is that we ought to approach fasting and prayer and seeking God in such a manner that our desire is transformation, that God would do what he's promised to do and fully make us into new people, not just a better version of our old selves, but completely new people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read these incredible words that say, but we all with unveiled face. And folks, there is the key. If you come before God with a mask on, you can't get transformed. You cannot get transformed by God, not fully in the way that He's purposed for you to be transformed, if you come before Him with your bank balance, your postcode, your outfit, and your peer group. You must come before the Lord with an unveiled face. It's allegory. It's not talking in literal terms here. It's saying come before the Lord with a soul that is bare the things you're happy about, the things you're not happy about, your achievements, your failures, come before Him with an unveiled soul. Why? Because as we behold Him, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we become transformed into the same image. What does it say? From? Hello? From? Glory to glory. This has got to become the focal point and the purpose of our seeking and our prayer and our fasting. If you've been around church for a little while, you've picked up a number of beliefs, a number of doctrinal positions, uh, hopefully a nice solid theology by now, and being members of Horizon Church, no doubt there's zero heresy in your heart because you have good, faithful shepherds who teach the Bible correctly. Am I right? That was a pathetic response. (laughs) But we do pick up cultural traditions and other viewpoints that are not necessarily wrong or evil, but they may be skewed just a little. And sometimes we find ourselves leaning into preaching or podcasts or social media messages that are slightly more tuned to the message that we're hoping to hear. And it doesn't come from an evil intent, but if we're not careful about watching our doctrine, we can find ourselves taking that one degree tangent that after a decade turns into 30 or 40 degrees off course. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that God doesn't want to do good things for you and through you and in you in the fasting process, but I would suggest that from time to time, we ought to recalibrate what it is we're doing when we're fasting and seeking. The transformational fast. Put your hand up if you love fasting. That's actually more than I was expecting to put their hand up. They're the real Christians in the room. Um, I hate fasting. Put your hand up if you love food. There's about 40 people who didn't put their hand up. So some of you either 
You do eat or you don't eat, but God made us to enjoy food. So when we fast, it puts us in a place of displeasure. We're doing one thing in the hope of something else taking place and fasting is intense. I can remember um, as a young fella doing what used to be called the 40-hour famine. Anyone in the room old enough to remember the 40-hour famine? And I remember, I think I must have been about 10 or 11, and uh, we must have had someone in our church at the time come and promote the 40-hour famine, and a whole stack of us got excited about the 40-hour famine. I think actually the kids are more excited about all I've got to do is go around church and write out a docket and people will give me gold coins. Not actually for you, you've got to give them to the starving kids, right? And so we do the 40-hour famine and... It's a pretty big deal. You know, you wouldn't get away with that these days because, as you know, kids are precious. They can't even go outside these days, let alone do a 40-hour famine. I have one person agree with me. Anyway, 40-hour famine. Did the 40-hour famine, and I think it used to go from, like, Friday night at, well, you know, summer on Friday to summer on Sunday morning, roughly 40 hours. Anyway, I got home from church on the Sunday morning, uh, and I thought to myself, I am so flipping hungry, and I went to the cupboard, And do you know what I found? I found some amazing things in the cupboard. Things that should not be given to people to eat. I found a can of tinned mushrooms. I found a can of creamed corn. And some other things that shouldn't be digested when you're on your healthiest day. And man, I broke records getting that stuff down my throat because I was so hungry. And it stayed there for about six minutes and made a return visit promptly all over the kitchen floor. I had the wrong idea about what the fast was for. I just got overexcited. I didn't really know what I was doing. But as grown-up, mature people in our faith, we need to have an idea what it is we're doing when we fast. Why are we fasting? Here's the point. Let's make it worthwhile. I mean, fasting is hard. Why go through it? And not end up with the thing that God wants us to have at the end, right? Let's make it worthwhile. So what is fasting not? Just in case we've picked up a few of those little nuances that we heard on a podcast somewhere. Or we read it in a tweet. (laughs) Saw it on Twitter. Must be true. If we picked up stuff, if we've adopted things that aren't quite what God wants us to base our believing on, what is fasting not? Well, firstly, fasting is not bending God's arm against his will. (laughs) If I just fast for long enough, God will change his mind. Fasting is not a hunger strike. I just won't eat until God gives me the thing I want. That's going to be a painful road for that person. Fasting is not heavenly harassment. You've even got to be careful how you try to interweave Scripture. This is why the devil sometimes deserves more respect than we give him. If he's such a dummy and he's such a fool, why does he do such a good job of deceiving so many believers? Because he is crafty, he is cunning, and the best lie is always positioned closest to the truth. The more it sounds like truth, the more palatable it is. We've got to have a clean, pure motive in our heart so that our ears will be unblocked to receive the true truth. And I'm not talking Oprah's kind of truth where you're so happy that you found your truth. I've never been so happy since I found my truth. 
I feel sorry for those people. There is the truth of God's word. And as believers, we have to have that passionate desire to hold fast to the truth. So you could even read stories like the widow who went to the courthouse every morning and she knocked on the courthouse door saying, give me justice. Who knows the story? In fact, Jesus himself encouraged us. He told the story about the woman who went to the courthouse every morning asking for justice. And when he finished the story, he said to the believers, this is how you should pray. But just because in one parable he said to be relentless and persistent, it doesn't mean he's saying that come to fasting demanding what you want. We want a transformational fast. We want to see a changing of who we are. Let's read another passage in Isaiah 58. You can probably hear that the ministry of Barry White is very close. It's probably the wrong target audience, except for about 10 people here to say Barry White. Well, most of the front row has been Googling, who is Barry White? <laughs> it won't bless you once you get the answer. There's no blessing in that. Isaiah 58, look at this. It says, this is God speaking. He says, is this a fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I've chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked and you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Just like we were praying together over Tori a few moments ago, when God is transforming us through the process of fasting and seeking him, he's doing a new thing in us for the benefit of others. We can get ourselves sidetracked to think that the fast is all about us and all about our breakthrough and all about the thing we're believing for. And those things are not inherently wrong, but we have to position ourselves well to know that God is doing a bigger thing than just reaching the outcome that we are pursuing. You see, misguided beliefs and expectations will ruin our fast every time. Misguided, not evil expectations, misguided expectations, slightly wrong, slightly selfish motive, slightly off track, This is why we need the presence of God in worship like we had tonight. This is why we need gifted worshippers and musicians like we shared with tonight to help bring our hearts into the place of softening the presence of God. You can come into the house of God with all kinds of hard attitudes and beliefs about what is rightfully yours, but you take a moment to properly surrender your heart, lay down your agendas, and He does miraculous works in us. You see... Just because we can imagine a way that things will happen doesn't mean it's 
the way that things will happen. Our imaginations are active. We seek God, we pray, we ask him for stuff, and we're meant to. But in our asking, we very quickly go to the end and we imagine the outcome and we imagine how it's going to happen. And we've got to be careful how much we build a bond in our hearts with that perceived outcome. You see, the danger is when we start correlating our efforts with our preferred outcomes. Think about this for a moment. When we start correlating, building a bridge between our effort, the things that we do, and our preferred outcomes. We like to go A plus B equals C. If I do A, God will do B, and we'll end up with a beautiful C. Well, what if God wants to do A plus T is RL? (laughs) You go, but that doesn't work. I've been taught the formula. I know what the formula's meant to be. But God always delights in doing things a different way, a new way, a way that causes us to trust Him in the process. I believe it's Proverbs 3 that reminds us, do not lean on your own understanding, but trust the Lord with all your heart. In Ephesians 2, the Scripture says that we are God's workmanship. The imagery that we're being given there is a sculpture or a painting or a masterpiece of some kind that God is steadily putting together. We are his workmanship. And the reality is that if we don't pursue fasting his way, we risk trying to turn God's workmanship into a scientific formula. Put your hand up if you are, you're an artistic person. Where are all the people that I'm always amazed by who can draw freehand? Where are all the freehand drawers who can just look at something and draw? Come on, stand on your feet so we can stare at you and see if there's something different about you. Why? Why are the rest of us so bad at this? Who's with me that when you draw a dog, it looks like a tree that's been struck by lightning? Put your hand up if you can happily admit your drawing is horrible. I don't understand that, that God just put some people together in a certain way where one day they picked up a pencil and they drew things like they were photographs and the rest of us feel like losers. We're not artistic, but God is artistic. He's a sculptor, he's a painter, he's an artiste. He's putting stuff together in a beautiful way. But sometimes we come at his process so scientific. We try to apply mathematical formula to what he's doing and it just doesn't work. You see, the end result of us pursuing fasting in that way is that we turn our back on a relational God in preference for a transactional God of our own making. Now, I want you to really try and latch onto this with your thinking, your believing right now before we get ready to pray together. If we get caught up too much in the process and the outcome and wanting it to be the way we want it to be, we can actually turn our relationship with God from relational to transactional into a making in our own mind where God becomes a certain something that we would rather He be. And this is not a new thing. This is what the Israelites did when Moses went up the mountain to pray. He went to pray and fast. And because he took longer than a few minutes to come back down, they got frustrated. And you know the scene, by the time he comes back from down the mountain, they have, I mean, let's face it, up until this point, apparently these people were useless. They couldn't do anything for themselves, but the leader disappears for half an hour or so and they manage to beat together a golden calf. And they're dancing half naked around it, having a bonfire. They created a God in their own preferred image. 
And what kind of God is a God that you can subdue and make with your own human hands anyway? Don't think that you and I can't fall foul of the same trap. We can. That we turn our understanding of who God actually is into who we'd rather He be so that He fits our agenda and our narrative. That's the same thing the whole world is doing right now. Well, if this God of yours was really loving, wouldn't He want me just to be happy? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But if we lean in to Twitter sphere more than we lean into Bible sphere, we will find ourselves coming out with all kinds of cabbage that sounds good at first hearing, but has no power to produce the life of God. And so God is saying to us that He is calling on us to lean into Him and to seek Him the way He wants us to seek Him. Our Heavenly Father is relational not transactional. He wants to walk with us. He wants to journey with us. He is the author and the finisher. One translation says the perfecter of our faith. He is making a masterpiece out of us. He's not in a hurry. Have you noticed that God's not in a hurry? Are you frustrated that God's not in a hurry? Put your hand up if you're annoyed that God is not in a hurry. Look, 10 of you, you liars. We're all frustrated that he's not in a hurry. Some of you are thinking, if I lift my hand, will I get struck by lightning? Look, read Psalms. David got away with a whole lot more stuff than that in his prayer times. God's not in a hurry. He wants to perfect us. And he needs to shape us through context and through trial and through challenge. Our Heavenly Father is relational. You see, when we approach our fasting purely focused on what is the result I can get, What's that thing I've imagined that I'm fixating my faith on? Because even that alone, it sounds right, doesn't it? The Bible has told us to fix our eyes. We heard it tonight in the offering. But the motive of the heart has to be checked so that we understand that our faith is well positioned and our fixing is well positioned and we're doing things the way God wants us to do it. You see, if we approach fasting the wrong way, it only ever leads to anxiety, disappointment, faith depletion, hard hearts, and eventually idolatry. Now, I know this sounds like a heavy word. We're going to lighten it up again in a minute. But I want us to realise that God does have something wonderful for us in seeking and fasting and praying. And God doesn't want you to miss the mark on that. Individually, as a church, he doesn't want you to miss the mark on that. He's preparing you. He's setting this place up for the next word and the next word and the next word and the next word. And the reason you've come this far is because somewhere along the line, he cut in on our pathway with his mercy and his grace and he allowed our deafness to be healed long enough so that his word could cut through our preconceived ideas so that we could move. We didn't get here, Horizon Church, because we were smart enough. This church hasn't come through the storms that it's come through because somebody was brilliant enough. It's been the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. And he wants to position this church for the next word that's coming. Say amen if you believe it. A transformational fast leads us to a place of letting go. Turn to your friend next to you and say, let it go. Turn to the person on the other side and say, let it go. Turn back to the first person and sing it to them. Let it go. 
a transformational fast leads us to a place of letting go. The question becomes, letting go of what specifically? If you write in the notes, write these things down. Here's what we need to let go of in a transformational fast. We need to let go of trying to control the process and the outcomes. Put your hand up if you're willing to, if you're a bit of a control freak. Now, let's all put our hands up because we all are at some level. And let's be honest, you've got to have some control in your life, right? You can't have your life reckless and running all over the place, but you know what I'm getting at, the difference between I'm organised versus, no, I'm trying to preside over the manner in which everything happens. If we get ourselves trying to hop into that chair that belongs to God, which is the process and the outcome, what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, we are setting ourselves up for very, very disappointing failure. And this is always hardest to follow when you're in the middle of a tough challenge. Put your hand up if you're in or you've been through a tough thing in the last 12 months. You know, I'm going to try and get the whole church to lift their hands on something before the night's over. In the last 10 years, who's had one bad day at least? I know some of you are fighting me. Some of you are stubborn. I'm not going to put my hand up for you. You do the work. It's always hardest to believe God when you're in the context of a tough challenge. Faith is easy at conference. Faith is easy at conference, and that's good. We get encouraged. But when you go home to your own problems, your own challenge, and sometimes the challenges are big and scary, and you don't actually know how you're going to get through, that's when we find out what brand of faith we actually have. Have I got a maturing faith? Or am I still holding the baby seed that he gave me so many years ago? Because a maturing faith is moving towards not trying to control the process and the outcome. This is the transformational fast that God is trying to lead us into. You think about Jesus when he's fasting and praying in the desert in Luke chapter 4. You read Luke chapter 3 at the end where Jesus is baptised. He has this incredible moment. Have you read it? Incredible moment. He goes out to be baptised by his cousin in the river. Everyone's standing back going, why did John just say that crazy thing that he just said? Remember, John sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thankfully, Jesus didn't feel too much pressure because that's a lot of pressure. He goes and stands next to his cousin. John turns his lapel mic off on his radio pack so that the crowd can't hear him. He says, Jesus... It's nice to see you, cuz, but what are you doing here? <laughs> this is weird. He's like, you do know that you're the son of God, right? And I know that, and you're perfect, and you don't have any sin, so why are you getting baptised? And Jesus is, hey, John, this needs to happen, so put your mic back on and let's get on with the baptism service. He gets baptised, he comes out of the water, and the heavens open! The audible voice of God speaks from heaven. The crowd saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove. This is a big moment. This is kind of like 
up there with uni graduation and maybe even better. It's a big moment. The whole crowd hears God the Father say, this is my son. Whom I love and I'm so pleased with. It's a great moment in Jesus' life. And we, that story is the end of chapter three. Luke chapter four says, then led by the spirit of God, Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. So be careful what happens the day after conference. <sighs> when you're on a high and you're gonna change the world. And then the Holy Spirit goes, this is so good. Let's now get you in a context where you can use that faith you've got. <laughs> and the Bible says that Jesus was in the desert the hot Arabian desert, fasting for 40 flipping days. Anyone ever done a 40-day fast? Anyone ever done a 40-hour famine? (laughs) 40 days fast in the desert is worse. Check this out. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And then the Bible says at the end of the fast, not on day two, not on day 13, not on day 26 where he's starting to go a little bit crazy. At the end of the fast, Satan himself shows up. What does he do? He comes to Jesus and he offers him three things. He says, if you're the son of God, we have to get some lessons from the life of Jesus, people. The devil will always come to challenge you about your identity and your relationship with the Father. That's what it's always been about. It's what it's always gonna be about. Are you really loved by the Father? Because if He loved you, why are you in this mess? Just because you're in a mess doesn't mean your Father doesn't love you anymore. Just because you're in a struggle doesn't mean God's not gonna bring you through. Satan comes to Jesus, he says, if you're really the Son of God, you must be hungry by now. Turn that stone into a loaf of bread. Jesus answers him with his memory verses. Then Satan takes him to a new place where they're high up. He says, look at this, you can see all of the kingdoms of the world. Now think about it, Jesus is the son of God. He is the natural heir to the universe. It's already written in the will, if there was one, that Jesus is getting it. The house, the farm, the boat, the cars, everything belongs to him. And yet Satan, because the weak state of Jesus' physicality, comes to him with this cunning boy who says, if you would just drop to your knees and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus answers him with his memory verse. And so Satan tries one more time. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, way up high. He says, throw yourself off if you're the son of God and let the angels rescue you. Jesus slaps him down with one more memory verse. What was Satan trying to do there that he's trying to do with us? He's trying to get him to abort the father's process with shortcuts. The promise and the lure of the shortcut the silver bullet, the magic word, the super podcast, the one message that can fix all of your problems, the one prophecy that can deliver you out of all of the mistakes that you're doing. I think some of you right now are wishing that I didn't start preaching again and that December 5 last year was the end of... (laughs) Satan comes to try and lure Jesus into self serving transactions. If he tries that on with the Son of God, 
how much more will he try that on with you and I who are broken and flawed? God wants you to stay the course in the process. God is making a better you while you might be fixating on a better outcome. He's doing something in you that is for his purpose, for the long run, for others, for what's ahead of you, not just your current pain relief and medication. Our task is faithfulness and surrender. I don't know how many of you love the verse in Romans 8, 28. I think they got it up on the screen. Oh, a few people do. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things. Someone say all things. things. Say work together. together. Not all things are good, but all things are worked together for good. I heard one preacher say it this way. If you go to your kitchen, you go to the cupboard and you get out some baking soda and you take a big tablespoon and you start chewing on that, it ain't going to be that nice. But that one ingredient's got an important role to play when it's mixed together with the other ingredients to end up with something nice. God makes all things work together for our good if we love Him and call according to His purpose. Our task is faithfulness and surrender. Moses, what do you have in your hand at the moment? Oh, this old stick, this is pretty useless. God goes, I don't need special resources to do special things. I made the universe from nothing but that which came out of the depth of my word. I don't have to rub sticks together to make fire. I don't need concrete and water and sand to build buildings. He makes some things out of nothings. We have to be faithful with what we've got right now and we have to keep on surrendering. Even when God gives you a prophecy, you are not called by God to obsess over the prophecy. Even a prophecy can be turned into a golden calf if you don't approach it the right way. You find yourself frustrated and agitated 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, God, you said! And again, one degree off track with our attitude has us believing that we're doing the right thing. We hear ourselves quoting Isaiah 43, 26 that says, state your case, come before me, the Lord, and argue with me so that you may be acquitted. That is a Bible verse, by the way, in case you're wondering, in Isaiah 43. And we hear this and we go, yeah, yeah, God said I could have an argument with him. Where's my prophecy? And God's patient. He's going, I'm waiting, waiting for something to change in here. You're not ready for it. I let you go into that now. You ruin yourself and some others. And I gave that prophecy so that you and the others would be better off, not worse off. Even a good thing can be made an idol if our approach is not surrendered to God. Any fans of MasterChef here? That was a fairly meagre response. <laughs> I've never watched the show myself. Is it good? Should I watch it? People in the members stand up over here, the corporate box. Should I watch MasterChef? Should I start? Lady in the green hoodie says I should start watching MasterChef. She's into it. What are we talking, like nine out of ten? Watch an old season. There it is, people. You've heard it first. All right, have a good night. Drive safe. Master Chef, 
Jesus is the master chef. He wants us to get out of the kitchen. Yeah, but Jesus, you said you were going to bake me a roast dinner. He said, I am, if you'll get out of the kitchen and let me get back to it. I just want to check what kind of gravy are you using? What does it matter? I'm making the dinner. Go and sit down. What kind of veggies you got in there, Lord? Go and sit down at the table. He wants us to get our position and our role in the right place so that he can get on doing what he can do. Isaiah 55 says that his ways are higher than our ways. Can you say amen? amen? So here it is, just before we pray, I'm out of time. The ultimate position for our hearts looks like this, that we are full of faith for our future and fully surrendered to God's processes and outcomes. Full of faith for our future, fully surrendered to God and his process and his outcomes. Craig, could you come back and play for me, please? That would be great. The transformational fast, it produces three main things in us. Number one, it softens our heart to God. Put your hand up if you're in a situation right now or wink at me or nod at me or something. If you're in a situation where you need something to change. You've got a thing that you've got your attention on. There's nothing wrong with that. But you end up if you feel a bit stuck in your situation and nothing's moving. And so you heard Pastor Brad say, we're going to pray and fast and you got all excited. And then you found out that he meant more than fasting, just your PlayStation. He actually meant food. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with believing God for better things. Nothing wrong. But the position of our heart has to be soft so that we are fully in faith and fully surrendered to His process and His outcomes. I would suggest to you, as not the oldest person in the room, but by far not the youngest anymore. My days of being a youth pastor are so many moons behind me, I can barely remember them. I've been around the block a few times to realise that most often, God doesn't do it our preferred way. <laughs> Why didn't He do it the way I hoped He would? Because He's shaping a better us on the inside. Transformational fast softens our heart. Number two, it reminds us that we are not owners in this life. We are stewards. I just have to have that house. I'm believing God for my first house. Nothing wrong with it. Till it becomes an idol. Till the fast itself becomes an idol. To the principles of breakthrough that you've been listening to in that podcast until they become an idol. Our hearts get softened. We get reminded that we are stewards, not owners. And number three, I'm going to close on this. It prepares us for the new word. The transformational fast prepares us for the new word. And there is a new word coming to Horizon Church. Don't fall in love with the wine skin. Don't fall in love with God's method He used to use. 
Don't get so fixated on the fact that things are going well and you're enjoying it and you're loving it. I just hope it stays like this forever. You picked the wrong God. (laughs) He's been doing this for millennia. Even when He brought people out of Egypt and they were in a state of trauma and as fragile as you could get, He said to them, don't get too comfy in your tent because the cloud's going to move. And people are like, but you wouldn't move us at night time, Lord. It's dangerous to move at night. He goes, no, no, I've got a pillar of fire for the nighttime journeys. He says, your job is not to try and predict when I'm going to move or to predict where I'm going to move. Your job is to stay soft hearted so that you hear me when I say it's time to move. There's new word coming to Horizon Church. I wonder if you just put your notes down wherever you are, just close your eyes in your seat. And in a moment, we're going to have an all-in moment of prayer response. It's going to be very easy and very accessible. But I'm believing that the grace of God, the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to shift hearts tonight. God wants what is best for you. He's your Father. He loves you with all His heart. And He has plans and purposes for your future so that you don't miss the mark. He desires so deeply to lead you into all that He has planned for you. But tonight, before we get to that prayer, you may be sitting here and you might be saying, Andrew, I I just came as somebody's friend tonight. They asked me if I wanted to go to church. I didn't have anything else on, so I said yes. I don't know anything really about all this stuff you're talking about. Well, if that's you, I want to talk to you for two minutes. Maybe you heard this great youth pastor, Jackson Moore over here, talk about when he was 14. Wasn't necessarily looking for God, but Jesus positioned himself in Jackson's eyeline so that he could see him. So I want you to know that this Jesus that we've been singing about, that we talk about, that I'm preaching about, this God who we are oriented around in this church gathering tonight, He knows you already and He loves you with all His heart. The Bible says very clearly in the book of John, it says to every single person who receives Jesus, Every person who believes on His name, God gives those people the power to become the children of God. In other words, faith in Jesus Christ for who He is and what He's done is the gateway into relationship with the Creator, your Heavenly Father God. And so with every eye closed around the room, I'm going to invite people tonight to make the greatest decision you can make. And that decision is to open your heart to Jesus. Everybody in the room, just look at me for a moment. Pretty much all of us own one of these. Interestingly, you'll notice the cameras keep on getting better. I mean, what are we up to now? 338,000 megapixel camera, is that what we're up to? The cameras keep getting better. Interestingly, for our youth and our young adults, never forget that the camera on the outside of your phone has better resolution than the one that faces you. It's a message from God. 
that the selfie is fun, but the focus on others is the reason. But all of us have got these powerful cameras, whether you're an Apple fanboy or a Samsung cheer squad member, or you don't conform to anybody's rules and you've got a Google Pixel. (laughs) Whatever one you're carrying, they all have this incredible photography and videography capability. I'm old enough to remember when 3Mobile, who most of you have never heard of, tried to do video phone calls on a clamshell phone. It was horrible. Here's the thing. As I open my camera here, this little device, I'm not taking photos by the way. This little device has the ability hardwired into it to take incredible photographs. But do you know what? No matter how good that is, the capacity in this phone, in this camera lens, is nothing without me choosing to press the button. The moment I press that little button on the screen, the aperture, the opening of the lens quickly opens up and light rushes in. And then on the memory of the phone, a colour high-res imprint of everything that was in front of the lens is suddenly stored. And do you know what, friends? That's the same as what Jesus does in our heart. Jesus comes before our focus. And we get told by someone like a preacher that in our soul, we've been hardwired to know God. And all of the capability that you could ever need to have a relationship with the living God is already in you. It was built in the day you were born. But you have to press that button to open the aperture. And that button says, Jesus, I invite you in. You make that choice to say, I need his love, I need his forgiveness. The light of the creator of the world rushes into our soul. Just close your eyes again, if you would. If that's you tonight, and you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you haven't known how to start a relationship with God, we're gonna pray a prayer. The whole room's gonna pray it. And if you're praying it for the first time, or you're praying it another time because you know you need to reconnect with God, I want you to make sure at the end of the service, tell the friend you came with, tell somebody sitting near you so that one of the trusted and trained leaders can speak with you after the service about what are the next steps. Can we all pray, church? Can we pray these words? Say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Tonight, I open my heart to you. I press that button and invite you in. I open the lens of my soul to let your light in so that you can transform me from the inside out. I surrender my heart to you. Please forgive my sins. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Teach me how to live by faith. I ask these things in Jesus' Name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.